Welcome to the GameDev.TV Community Podcast. I'm your host KB, and I would like to introduce you to industry professionals and people who successfully made their path to the video game industry. I hope that you enjoy the podcast and get useful tips that will bring you closer to achieving your dreams. Now, let's get right into the podcast. Today we're focusing a little bit more on how to get better at game development, how to succeed in game development, to keep that as our general theme, our general topic, but of course feel free to ask whatever questions you would like. If you've got any questions about, you know what, I'm kind of not sure how I get better, then uh, now's a good time to ask it and Tim and I will do our best to um, to give you some words of wisdom from our experience. And it might be good just to take a moment, just a 30 seconds, Tim, to talk about each of our experiences with game development so people know we, we tend not to talk about it because it's not yeah. so relevant i think when we're teaching people and helping people to learn but yeah i think there's people out there who are curious did you want to start sure so um i've been making games on youtube roughly for about four or five years actually since i was 16 but i took a, a break there to go get a real job in marketing uh, for a while, but then I got back to game development because it was one of my loves, and uh, I have made a few dozen games over the last four years. I have games on Steam. Just did a Kickstarter for a uh, card game of mine, and um, now I'm working with Game Dev TV uh, as the director of marketing. So I'm I'm doing a lot of game dev stuff. I'm doing a lot of marketing stuff. I've got a lot of experience in uh, both building, publishing, and marketing games. How about you, Rick? Well, I was going to add to yours, Tim, that you've got a lot of experience working with 2D games. You've spent a lot of time making games in constructs. Yes. And it's more recently that you've been upping your your skills in Unity and playing around with more 3, 3D type things as well, which I find really interesting. I, the, the speed with which you can pump things out in construct because you've invested in that engine, taken the time with it, uh, I think is quite note, noteworthy. But the speed that you've then gone and picked up Unity because you've got that background in an engine already, uh, I think is noteworthy as well. It's it's weird though, because I'm so used to just whatever I think of existing in front of my face with my speed. And then all of a sudden it doesn't. <laughs> it's like this weird learning curve, but yeah. Yeah. How about, how about you, how about Rick? This? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I, it's really interesting. I'm a, bit, a little bit older than you, Tim, only by, you know, a couple of months, but, uh, <laughs> or two <laughs> or 50. Uh, but for me, when I was really interested in game development, there wasn't the opportunities. Uh, the internet wasn't really a thing where you could learn things or, or participate in stuff. Uh, you know, I went off to, to university and studied psychology, and I was doing that for seven years and, and loved it and drank a lot of booze and played a lot of sport. Uh, and th there was always this kind of underlying i really wish i could make games video games and uh right since i was young i remember my earliest memory of someone saying what do you want to do when you grow up uh, I, I was playing a handheld game a lot of folks wouldn't even know what a handheld game was it's not not like a game boy it's even before that was just one game on this thing uh these little kind of black and white screens with uh, anyways so hard to describe you need to look at a picture of them uh, i'm like i want to make they were called electronic games back in the day i want to make electronic games and so that was always a dream. That was always a drive for me. And I went off and did some other careers. And it was only when I was a little bit later in life, which was probably now about 15 to 20 years ago, I'm like, you know what? I, I can go to video game school and learn how to do this stuff. Damn, I didn't know that was a thing. So uh, I, I became a game designer first. That was my thing. 
and then worked in big studios. I was over in Vancouver in Canada and worked for studios, working on really cool IP. Um, so worked on a Captain America, worked on a, a Mario game, uh, worked on uh, a whole bunch of stuff. But the thing with working in... Uh, they were sort of AAA studios, but um, you know, often a little bit smaller than that. I don't know if anyone knows Next Level Games. Next Level Games recently was acquired by Nintendo, um, so I worked there for a while. But the the joys and the pain of working in a studio it really gets to you because you're so beholden to the publisher and if the publisher said mm, you know what we've decided not to make this game after all you're like dude we've been working on this for a year or two years or three years what and just pull the pin so i had a lot of really great times great friends great experiences but also a lot of heartache where uh I'd, I'd work on games and they just wouldn't see the light of day for whatever reasons. Uh, one reason, there was a writer's strike. I don't know if anyone remembers that in Hollywood. So anything attached to a movie just kind of got put on hold. So, um, you know, good times, bad times. But then I'm like, you know, screw this. I'm going to go start my own indie game studio and, and did that. We were working remotely. We had about, I don't know, between five and ten folks working on the team on and off. Made a couple of cool games, Facebook games, um, mobile-friendly games. But, uh, you know, that was, that was okay, but stressful as heck. Um, and then for me, I'm like, you know what? Rather than making one thing, I want to focus on helping other people make millions of things. So I got a lot more interested in, in the, the core indie hobby approach. So let's make games just because we love them and because they're fun and because it's the process of being creative. So that's what's really shaped me in the, the more recent years is just the joy of indie game development without the strings attached of, but is it going to be a commercial success? Yeah. I feel so that, you there. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a big, big ramble about my journey. Worked on tons of games but sadly i don't i can't when people are like hey what games you made i'm like nah, nothing really great that i can tell you about you know commercially nothing that you'll recognize i've made lots of great games for myself or you know in small teams but <laughs> it's kind of i think every game developer resonates with that because oh what do you do i'm a game developer what games have you made uh, uh this one thing i play store and i like joined a few jams and stuff like uh if i bring out my laptop i could show you like this half done prototype <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, this uh, this game is cool how much money did it make well i kind of you know put it on steam but no one saw it because i just don't know how marketing works ah. so there's yeah. so much in it like and a lot of the core of of the evolution i've had in my whole journey going from like i really want to work in the games industry and wow i'm working in the games industry to you know the games industry is kind of good and bad in some ways hmm um like for me now you need to compartmentalize the two aspects so one aspect right. is the i'm making games because i love making games and i love just dabbling in doing this and tinkering and i've always wanted to make this cool rpg i'm gonna do it like that side of things and you've got to have that as a separate existence too i'm making this game to hopefully make some money so i can pay the bills right. and do this as a career and you've got to you've got to realize that those two things they're both called games and both called game development but they're different beasts and you're going to have a different relationship it's like being married to one and having an affair with the other but you need to decide which one you're married to for sure the, the why is super important because like the why is what gives you the answer to a lot of questions that you have mm. um 
should I should I spend two years on this game or should I spend one year on this game? The why is super important because if you're if you're building this game to learn, right, you want to learn every part of the process. So so spending a little extra time on it makes sense. But if you spend this time to like make a commercial game, then for example, you are doubling your production costs by going an extra year. Mm. And do you think you can double your sales <laughs> by doing that? Right. So like it's a different it's a different question that you're asking yourself when you really understand why you're doing something. Um, but getting better at, at game dev, I think the why is also important, right? Like learning, why are you learning this thing? Like what skills do you want to acquire? And, uh, going through that process, I think, and asking yourself that is super important. Mm. Interesting question here. We'll, we'll take questions here and there as they pop into our flow, um, from King Kaji. Uh, how'd you get your first job? What skills do you need to acquire to stay ahead? Uh, and he's tagged at me, but a good one for both of us. So when I look back on my own career, and I've had lots of jobs, lots of different industries, um, and nearly every job that I've got is because I knew someone and that someone already had a positive opinion of me. So my very first right. job while I was still at university, uh, I had a university professor that I was working with and he's like, hey, these people need a um, like a data entry statistics analysis, analysis kind of person uh, in a market research company, uh, you know, just a small one with a handful of people. Are, are you interested in talking to them? I can hook you up. And then I talked to them and because my professor had already said, yeah, he's a good guy, like I, I just got it. Like There was no um, give us your resume kind of stuff. It just, it happened. And then it was similar for my next job and for my next job. And I had a job when I was overseas. I just, I bumped into someone and I was having a conversation and he was looking for a particular role. And I'm like, oh, I've got that background. He's like, oh, well, do you, are you interested? And so I think we get so caught up in, but I need to have a perfect portfolio or perfect resume or perfect cover right. letter that at the end of the day, employers don't hire like that. They hire based upon trust. And if they trust you, if they've got a good feeling in their heart about you, then they'll give you an opportunity. So you might be sitting there saying, well, I don't know anyone, man. How do I, how do I get a job if I don't know people? Well, then the first thing is get to know people. And how do you get to know people? Well, you, you come along to a, you know, to a Q&A like this. You ask a couple of questions. You listen for what Rick and Tim think are important. And if you have any sort of interest in, I don't know, for example, being an instructor with Game Dev TV, you listen to us, you pay attention, and then you provide us some, uh, some proof that you would be amazing at it. And we're like cool you, you just landed in our lap that's amazing wow you've you've already gone and created whatever five lectures to show you understand how we make content for you know whatever for unreal wow cool yeah come let's have a conversation so obviously you know most people listening here are interested in in making games maybe having their own indie studio maybe getting a job in the games industry but you've got to you've got to prove it and you've got to establish trust uh it's great if you can do that on a personal level, but obviously, um, you know, that's tough in today's day and age, but you've got to be a little bit innovative in how you go about doing it. Don't, don't wait for the opportunity. You got to knock on doors and say, Hey, um, how can I help? I'm here to do stuff. Here's a thing. I, I just went ahead and yeah. did a thing for you. Uh, well, I mean, and that's how I ended up at game dev TV too, right? Like we knew each other and we worked together and then you're like, Hey, you want this opportunity? Because of um, trust, exactly. Like I, right. I know you. I know you're a good guy. I'm like, you know what, Tim, dude, you you know all these awesome things. Hey, do you want to come and do some stuff? Like, let's work together. So, 
It's the same, you know what, building upon this, when people work on a game jam together, that's a good way of, of seeing, like shopping yeah. around, who wants to work on this? And you're like, yeah, we'll give it a try. If you have a good experience, like, you know what, you and I should work on a commercial game together because you've already built a little bit of trust and rapport from that game jam. Yeah, I, and I would definitely, I think the building trust part is the hardest part for sure right like upfront like that i don't know anything about who you are to like i trust you enough to work with me that process is complicated and and that's what that's what a resume is supposed to do right like it's supposed to be a sheet of paper that says here are all the reasons why you trust you should trust me enough to work with you but it doesn't get you all the way really and mm -hmm. especially if you're in some kind of like creative or visual field like they need to be able to see the stuff that you've done not just like tell them um yeah yeah and i i think that like a lot of people really underestimate that or they don't really want that to be true because uh i'm not judging here but game devs i would guess probably have a uh a larger percentage of introverts uh <laughs> in general we like to we like to uh hang out in our caves and, and program stuff a lot of the times um and there's not a lot of people in that cave so uh it's a lot easier to you know send out resumes than it would be to like actually meet people and all that stuff and and you said that it was it was probably harder in this day and age but i think with you know the whole virus thing i think with all the digital stuff, I think it might be easier than ever in mm. a way, right? Yeah, y there's so many things that are now way easier. What's right. way easier is studios, companies, you know, no matter what industry, they're saying, hmm, we've had a year where everyone's been working from home and it's worked just fine. So, you know what? Instead of having to live in whatever, Houston, Texas, you can live wherever you want so long as you can um, work with us during these core hours cool, you can be working in South America, you can be, well, that's probably a similar time zone, you can be working in Europe. Uh, <laughs> it's like, so long as you live in South America or North America, we're happy. No, it's 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 broader than that. You can, people, companies are opening up. But back like a few years ago, people would say to me, you know, I'm from whatever, I'm from Europe, I'm from India, I'm from South America. How do I get a job in North America? It's like, you just don't. You can't, sorry. You know, unless you've already got five, 10 years experience doing a relevant thing, you just can't get a work permit or a visa. But nowadays it's like, dude, knock on the door and say, hey, I'm pretty good at these sorts of things. Do you have an opportunity for me? Yeah, yeah. and I know, and that can be literally terrifying. Like I, there was a point in my life where I was terrified of phone calls, okay? So I know, I know what it's like to like reach out to somebody and be, you know, as a complete cold call, but it's, it's part of like the thing. There's a couple of things that I did that maybe is not a traditional path, but it definitely helped. Um, my YouTube channel, for example, um, building out a, a YouTube channel and sharing a bunch of value, uh, put me in a, position where a lot of people could see kind of my contributions mm. and my value in like a yeah. one-way kind of uh, thing. And that brought a lot of opportunities to me, which was much more comfortable for me than reaching out to people directly, right? It brought people yeah. to me. Um, so that that's like an alternative too. I know some people have like blogs, some people do, they'll post on social media and stuff. Um, so definitely like sharing your knowledge could be a big part of that too. It's, it's not yeah. the traditional route. It's not necessarily the easiest route. But it is a route for me that I think was easier to, to comprehend. That's a really good point. Whatever you do in game development, the more you can be active in the community, 
I think the more opportunities will open up. And there's a lot of things you don't know you don't know. You, you, a lot of people sitting there saying, well, I'm working on my game, so I just need to get better at making the game. And someone made a, made a joke before, um, you know, how to get better at game development. Well, do all their courses. But that's not the point of today's conversation. The, the answer is not do all our courses. Um, you know, that's, a, that's an obvious thing that, yeah, go do our courses. But how do you get better, better at it, aside from just learning? And I think connecting with other people and working on actual game projects even if you have no intention of launching them or putting them on steam or on the app store work on actual projects where you need to solve actual problems like a designery type person says hey wouldn't it be cool if our guy can quadruple jump and you're like huh i've never done that before i need to figure that out and by figuring that out you there's a lot of dynamics you need to understand how do we how do we do that what what are the art requirements how do we make it look good how do we tell the player Uh, and if it's just you of your own energy then it's hard to come up with new ideas it's hard to get solutions as well i think a lot of people have ideas but get stuck on the solution Whereas some other people have solutions, but they're like, oh, I've kind of run out of creative ideas. So finding a partner is massive, I think, in getting better at game development. Yes. And I think, I think, um, working with people, what, what you're doing is you're, you're bringing somebody in that has a completely different brain based Mm -hmm. on dozens of years of completely different life experiences, completely different inspirations, completely different even honestly in a weird way even like childhood trauma and stuff right like just like crazy stuff that's went on in their brain that's reconfigured it and now you've got two brains that operate completely differently and when they work together all these kind of weird connections and stuff can be formed that like yeah it's one of those scenarios where one plus one equals three right like it's not it's it's more than the sum of its parts because two brains work together the other thing is too um i found that like taking inspiration from outside of the the thing that you're working on is super important so like a lot of people are like oh i want to make a game but i want it to be like this other game that i played right Mm. but getting inspired from like books or television shows or uh, stories from your past or dreams or things like that a lot of times that stuff is is drastically different and the things that you come up with are drastically different and that's a really good way to like you know, think outside the box and be a little more creative is is not be inspired by the same source material that everyone else is. Absolutely. And I want to dig into that a little bit more, the whole idea generation stuff. First, just before we move on from the the teaming up with people and finding people conversation, there's a the couple of things. I see Paul has asked a question, uh, done a lot of stuff in the latest couple of game jams. How do I find a people to work with to showcase my talent? It's a really good question about how do you find people? How do you connect with people to make games with? And I think the step one is to find people who are who are showing what they're up to. And if it clicks with you, if you're like, that's kind of cool, then offering to team up with them for free to, with no strings attached. Just like, hey, man, uh, this is really cool what you're doing. Can you use an extra set of hands? Here are, here, here are my particular skills. Would you like to have a look and see what I can do? Or would you like to bounce some ideas? Or could I just, you know... 
could I just help test your game when it's ready? Whatever it is, you've got to, you've got to start with a peace offering or a, or a value offering that is uh, non-threatening to that person. And what I mean by threatening is if you get there and say, I've got an idea for a game, do you want to work on it with me? And people are going to be like, okay, what's the idea? Is it going to be a good idea? Are you going to be precious about the idea? Uh, what if I don't like it? Uh, I don't know. So you need, to, you need to work on their thing first and help them along that way. And as you do that, you're like, hey, here's, here's a suggestion. Hey, here's an idea. Um, so how do you find the people? Well, it's uh, obviously within the Game Dev TV community, you can see people that are posting uh, on our forum. You can see people hanging out here on Discord. And look for people who are doing stuff rather than people just saying, hey, I'm, I'm lonely. Who wants to team up? That, that's possibility. Like, you know, say hi to that person, have a chat with them. But who knows where that's going to go? If you find someone who's like, hey, I've, here's, here's my prototype. What do you think about it? then that's the person you know they've made some progress you know they're actually in action right. about this stuff um i'm not much of a reddit guy tim how would you suggest going about finding people on reddit to connect with is it just going to the gaming subreddit and keeping your eyes open for someone who might be in a similar sort of lane to you and saying hey what's up i think well actually what i would actually suggest i have some tactical suggestions Reddit probably isn't the best for this, but one of the things that I've done to find teammates before, because I, I had like a weird problem for a while, like I was on YouTube, right? And so I had a lot of people kind of volunteering to be a part of it, but that kind of makes me feel weird. Like sometimes I just want to like make games anonymously with like mm. new people. Um, so one of the things that I did a lot is if I would join a jam or you go to itch.io slash jams, uh, you can find all these game jams that are coming up, right? And you can click on them and you can go into them and there's a community tab for every game jam. And so a lot of people will create a topic in there and say, though, hey, I'm looking for a group. Uh, mm -hmm. I would love to make this kind of game. Yeah. And then people can respond and kind of join the teams uh, that way. Um, the other thing is to do exactly what you're suggesting, but make it a little more tactical. So like if you see somebody, um, if you're doing Ludum Dare, for example, ldjam.com, which is I think it's twice a year now. Um, there's a lot of people that will will share the blog posts of what they're thinking uh, ahead of time. Like if you go to ldjam.com right now, you'll see a bunch of people that just like list out their ideas and stuff. You can actually click on their username and contact them, uh, and then you can uh, say, "Hey, I really like what you're what you're thinking about. Uh, I would love to help you with this." Right? Like, mm. and again, like you said, their game, their idea. I would like to help you framed as like extra pair of hands rather than like, Hey, come make my game with me. Yeah. Right. Cause that's kind of off put. So LD jam and, uh, itch.io very tactical ways to kind of, uh, find people and jams. And again, you still gotta put yourself out there, right? You still gotta ask, you still gotta, but gotta potentially be susceptible to rejection, right? Like they could say no. And sometimes that hurts, but you know, it's, it's part of the process. Yeah, and it's it's like yeah, it's like anything in life. It's a numbers game. So you might need to do five game jams with five different groups of people before you find one person that you connect with. Um, right. And you know, it's it's the classic. I think it's uh, there's a lot of big companies out there that have been started by two people that have complementary roles. Someone who's maybe more the uh, the Steve Jobs and someone who's more the Steve Wozniak, for example. Um, 
you know, the the business person, the technical person. And in games, it's pretty clear. It's the the programmer and the artist. They're the the clear distinction. And one of those two hopefully has some game design um, inspiration as well. So you know what it is you're creating. Um, a, a bad combination is a game designer and an artist because then it's like, cool, dudes, who, who's going to build your game though? So someone needs to take on the role of programmer. Um, right. And, and so the, looking looking for that, that partnership, it only takes one other person to give you the, the motivation and the energy to push yourself and to improve yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. And generally, I, whenever I reach out to people, I reach out to people that like impress the hell out of me right mm. like their stuff is so amazing that i'm just like oh my yeah. god i respect this person so much and, and, and usually the, they're out of my league <laughs> you know but yeah. i try anyway the and the best well, yeah when you go knock on that person's door if you've got zero to show for it they're gonna be like who are you, who are you? why would i give my yeah. why would i give you a chance so this is what you're saying before about your youtube channel and about game jams that if you're up to big things in life yourself and you're trying and you're doing your best and you're giving it a shot and you've been doing it for a while you're not in week one but you know you're in week 30 you're in week 200 or whatever right. it might be you've got stuff to show for it right back to the start of our conversation i was saying you've got to be able to prove yourself to build trust and then you could get the rapport you know in other words, you dig hanging out with each other, but that trust can come from people seeing that you're actually serious and you're not just some, you know, some person who decided yesterday they want to make games because they've got a cool idea about uh, an MMORPG. So I right. think you've got to be able to show something. Yeah. And my YouTube channel definitely helped me do that, but my itch profile will help me do that too. I'll link that yeah. so you guys can see, but like you can... This is not super up to date. It's missing a lot of games, but itch lets you like customize your profile and like change the colors and all that, and then it lists all of your games kind of out really nicely. Mm. Um, so it's basically like this is one of those things where it's like, oh sweet, someone can just like click on this and play all the games that I've made in a game jam. So if they want to partner up with me, you know, this is what I can do, and this is what we can do together. Yeah, and they can see your interests as well. That I think that's good. If you're if you're like, I really have a, a passion for, for example, um, top-down shooters. That's what I'm really into at the moment. And you're looking at someone who has made top-down shooters or similar kinds of games to that or, or shooters, then you know there might be a, a bit of a connection. There might be some opportunities for there. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, someone yeah. asked me, they said, how long were you creating YouTube videos before you saw Return of Value? Um, so that question is one of those things that I think is the wrong question. Uh, so we're doing a Q and a, Q &A. you can ask a question and I'm gonna, rather than answering a question, I'm gonna tell you it's the wrong question because well, you're a, you're a jerk, aren't you? Someone's like, I'm really, I'm scared, but I'm going to ask this. Oh my God, it's Tim. Hey Tim, oh, I'm kind of, but, and you're like, that well, I'm going to explain dude. because I don't, I don't just think 50, that... 50 listeners just left, by the way. No, I'm out of here, man. This is Tim Ruswick. Jeez. I don't think you can get to, um, a point where you, you've got to like what you do, right? And if and if if something like YouTube is only a business thing, if you are only looking at it as how do I get a return on my investment, how do I get a return on everything that I'm doing, um, you're gonna have a rough time, right? Like you've got to start because because that's the other thing too is like when you're in the beginning of something like content creation, you can't just 
ask people for stuff. You got to give people stuff, right? Same thing with like personal relationships, just like we we're saying with the game jams, you can't immediately go to someone and just ask them for a favor. You have to like help them out with their stuff first, right? So you've got to spend a lot of time uh, building and adding value and and just investing in everything. And for me, it was an entire year of videos every single day. That's 365 videos in 365 days. And that was one of probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because in that time I went through a hurricane, I went through a toothache, I went through severe sunburn, like, and I had to make videos every day, <laughs> like no matter what, no matter what happened, I was just, mm. I'm in front of the camera. Uh, and you know, there was one day where like I had a severe like back injury that I couldn't do anything with. And like, I had to film a video in a weird, awkward sitting position, mm. you know, like so many, so many things happened in that year. And they're all vivid to me because I had to be on camera every single day. Um, but that didn't translate to the $150 or whatever that I made in <laughs> YouTube ad revenue, right? Like, there's no way that was worth it. So, but in the same time, uh, YouTube allowed me to get my games out there, right? It allowed me to get lots of wishlists on my games. It allowed me to uh, add value to people's lives. It allowed me to... Uh, help people and and really like you know transform some of their thoughts and ideas and how how they should approach the projects it helped me i think it was a big reason why i ended up at game dev tv right mm -hmm. um it 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 gives me a lot of opportunities that it doesn't have so i you know yeah would, how long until you get value from youtube is kind of was kind of the question I, but it's, i would it's, i would look at just what you're saying there i think is totally valid if if the question is how long do you get money from youtube and the answer to that is like years, like years and years and years, unless you happen to do something right. that, that just catches the lucky wave, which is, you know, one in whatever, 10,000 people are going to say X, Y, Z, just at exactly the right time and in the right way. But if you ask the question of what is the return you were looking for from your YouTube channel? And one thing I heard just there is you were looking for a purpose. You were looking for a goal. You're looking for motivation and discipline. So I would say after whatever week one, you probably had an amazing return on the, I'm going to record a video a day for a year investment, because that showed you, Hey, I've done this for a week. I can do stuff. I can get things done. I can, I can achieve my commitments and be my word. So that would be the first return on investment. And then the moment, I'm guessing, Tim, because it was similar for me uh, before I kind of <clears throat> abandoned my YouTube channel. But uh, <laughs> when, when I used to make YouTube me videos, I, I would love when someone would write in the comments, hey, this really helped me. Thank you. I'm like, ah, that's a return on investment because I spent right. quite some time making this video hoping that it would be useful to someone knowing that I'm not going to get any money for it. It's not going to lead to anything. But this dude just said, hey, I've been really stuck on this and you got me unstuck. I really appreciate it. That for me was a massive return on investment as well. So I would say anyone out there who's doing any of these things, you know, going through courses, going to a game jam, making YouTube videos or, or dev logs uh, or uh, whatever it might be, don't ask yourself, what's the return on investment in my bank account? What's the return on investment in terms of me getting one step closer to doing what I love or pursuing my dream or achieving my dream? Right. Well, I, I think you have to, like, and it's not necessarily that you say you shouldn't think about the business aspect because you should, but I think something like YouTube or even game development, like, 
you've got to do it a little while to even be able to ask that question, right? Like, you've mm-hmm. got to release a game or two to really understand what it takes to even make a game before you can start thinking about, like, commercial success, right? There's a lot of skills that you need that you, you aren't even aware exist, <laughs> right? Like, the art of screenshot taking, okay? Most people think, oh, you just snap a screenshot. No, you don't. You Sometimes you have to zoom in on screenshots. Sometimes you have to remove the, the UI. Sometimes you have to tweak the brightness. You know, like you want to make this stuff look really, really good. You want to make it look very interesting. Um, the, the, you know, which screenshot comes first? Because everybody's going to see that when they hover over your Steam uh, profile, right? Like the, the key art, like that stuff is super important. That's going to be the single most representative image of your entire game. It's going to literally determine whether or not people click on it. So... Like all these things are just things that randomly come up when you're in the process of publishing a game and you're like, oh, I knew nothing about that. Um, And it's the same thing with YouTube or any of this other stuff. So you can't go into it saying, okay, well, I need to return my investment on this this amount of time. I think you need to do it for a while and then be like, okay, where did I make it to? Where do I want to go from here and kind of gauge your goals? Because different people grow at different speeds too. Like anybody that's watched a bunch of YouTube videos, like you probably recognize Jonas Tyroller, Thomas Brush, David Wheel, like all these different people. Blackhorn Prod, and anybody that's watched for a long time, they've all grown at drastically different speeds, right? So, like, mine was, like, slow and consistent. Um, Thomas Brush partnered with uh, with PewDiePie and shot up out of nowhere. Uh, Jonas Tyroller made a series of, like, really good videos back-to-back and did really, really well. Blackthorn mm-hmm. Prod had a lot of stuff going with his Unity tutorials, right? So, like, everybody grew in a different way at a different speed. Um... And I think it's the same thing with games, right? Like some people release their first game and make a million dollars. It's rare, but it happens. And some people, you know, their 10th game, still making them less than the Steam uh, cost, you know? Yeah. Like and everybody's I, I, on their own journey. And I think you need to be aware of that. There was a transition for me uh, when I when I'm I said, you know, I'm done working in game studios. I'm going to go start my own indie studio. Uh, which at, at first was, I'm just going to go make the sort of games I want to make. That was how I went and started all this. And I was bumbling along and my conversation was mostly, how do I make my money last for as long as it can? Because I had a little bit of money in the bank that was like, here's my money to fund my dream of, of you know, having my indie studio. And I was just trying to stretch it out. That was, that was what I was up to. And then at one point I realized, hang on, this I'm kind of not really making progress here. I'm surviving as opposed to thriving. And I had to make a right. mental transition from being an amateur to a professional. That's what really changed it for me. I asked myself, what would a professional do about this? Well, a professional wouldn't sit here on his own trying to you know, watch every last cent. A professional would find someone to partner up with and would give them a share of the proceeds or pay them. Oh yeah, cool, so I need to go and do that. A professional would get up early, work hard on this all day long, and and not get distracted okay i better do that a professional wouldn't get upset if he gets stuck on i don't know how to do this thing a professional would go and find the answer to it and ask someone for help so that professional mindset really changed my relationship with making games um you know obviously i was a professional when i was working in a studio for someone else but that's easy you've got you know, a, a leader or a boss or a, you know, the head of the studio is saying to you, hey, do X, Y, Z and I'll pay you, otherwise you get fired. And so you have structure, you have drive, you have direction. But as an indie 
game developer, it's all you. I, I'm, I know everyone out there knows this very cleanly, very clearly. But the question I've got for you is, are you approaching your game development journey as a professional, as like someone who says, this is my thing, this is my job, even if I'm not getting paid for it, it's my job to work on this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be Every single day, I'm going to get better. Every single day, I'm going to ask for help. Every single day, I'm going to try out a new thing. Every single day, I'm going to research a new way of doing things. I'm going to I'm going to connect. Every single day, I'm going to jump into a community and help someone out. Every single day, I'm going to whatever it might be. So, you know, that that's, I think, a good thing to ask yourself. Where are you on the spectrum from amateur? In other words, oh, I just do it for a bit of fun. It's a hobby. I don't care, whatever. Up to professional, which is, no, no, this will succeed. This will work. I'm going to do what I've got to do. The War of Art is a fantastic book that's similar mm-hmm. to that. I don't know if you read it, Rick, but I, I highly recommend that book. You have? Okay. Yeah. A while um, ago, I, yeah, but yeah. It's a good one. I, I reread it every probably a couple of years. I think it's mm. it's fantastic. Um, one of the things I would say in addition to that too, because you kind of touched on a little bit, but like this aiming to get better, like there's a whole saying that practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. No, Sun Tzu is the, the art of war. The war of art <laughs> is a that, different no, That was book. his sequel, wasn't his sequel? The war, the war that's, I think that's the, the, but it's like, that's the joke. It's like, yes. It's a war, right? Um, but there's, there's a saying that like practice makes perfect, but uh, there's a lot of times in my life where I practice something and I've not gotten better because I think if you really want to get better at skill, you have to practice with intention of getting better, right? Like you have to practice outside of your comfort zone. You have to practice things that you're not quite comfortable with. And I think some people do this naturally. Some people not so much. But like, for me as an indie, I kind of I don't think I've ever really made two games that are kind of stick to the same genre. Like I made a few similar ones, but like I'm I'm kind of all over the place. And one of the things that's really added to my game dev skill set is kind of everything that I do is kind of new and 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 different. And it's a different territory. Now, coincidentally, that is not the best business move right so like constantly making different genres and all this stuff and going all over the place it's really good for my creativity and my skill set but it's got a trade-off of you know realistically if you can build an audience in turn-based grid-based strategy games for example you can probably make a lot more money by continually making those types of names um rather than like genre hopping constantly but it's it's one of those things that like especially with my art i've been i've been drawing vector art for a long time and i just launched murder bunnies well the kickstarter and that was all of my vector art that i've drawn on my ipad and it took a lot of me trying stuff i was uncomfortable with because that's what i noticed is like once my style started to emerge um i got very comfortable doing things the same way and like Mm. this one of the things i'm struggling with now is everything that i've drawn has been front facing like it's straight up from front perspective so i don't actually have a whole lot of skill making stuff from the side in vector 2d art right and it it's frustrating because i'll try and draw stuff from the side and i just i don't have the skill to do it so it it's more comfortable for me to stick to my current stuff right but consciously practicing with the intention of like i want to get better at drawing stuff from the side is has been helping me quite a bit and kind of make that transition a little bit i think there's a there's a classic 
do you play to your strengths or do you address your weaknesses in everything in life, certainly in game yeah. development? Your example there is great. If you look at South Park, the TV show, like the artistic approach on that, it's pretty simple and it's all drawn from straight on. You look at when they're having two people having a conversation, they're both facing the camera because that's just their art style, it's how it's drawn. So you could raise the argument, which is, okay, you've got one thing you're good at, how can you make that even better and how can you use that as a feature for your game how can you do that so your game is special because of that that it's it's quizzical or comical or interesting that the characters are always facing forward or how do you make a genre of game that builds upon that there's a lot of games where the characters don't need to look left and right they can be more iconic um in terms of how they're facing so i think particularly is your is your in the early days of your game development journey or even later days if you've got something you're really good at triple down on that and don't try to address your weaknesses unless unless it's causing the experience to be a bad experience i think the all-time classic the the what i think the all-time classic of that is minecraft so you look at the art in Minecraft, you know, it, it's now it's now it's very, I, I use the word iconic again, but now it's it's amazing looking back at, at the whole voxel approach and there's a style to it. And it, I think that game really spawned a whole genre in and of itself, an art style. <clears throat> but the amount of skill that was required to lay down those textures wasn't that big. Uh, and the amount of skill required to make the characters wasn't that that big. But Notch's skill set was programming. That he was a programmer, so um, he he didn't try to find an artist to team up with to make the world look beautiful. And that became a strength of the product. The product wasn't trying to compete with the AAA games that looked amazing. It was saying we're not even we're not in that race. We're in a different race. If you want something different to all of the shiny, you know, semi hyper realistic games, here it is over here. It's more kid friendly. It's more whimsical. It's more you know whatever you know whatever words you can use for the style. Right. So I would I would say you know for you maybe you need to have things on the side. I'm not saying Tim don't draw things on the side but i'm saying to anyone listening don't get caught up in the fact that you can't do a thing try to create your game that doesn't need that thing to be important and other things will be important and play to your strengths well that's why the why matters right it goes back to that because like the why if you're if you're trying to make a commercial game right and you want to make a game from scratch to release commercially it makes way less sense to learn a bunch of new stuff to put in that game. And it makes way more sense to do exactly what you're saying of like double down on what you're actually good at, make something based on the skill set of the team. Like you don't just start with this crazy MMO concept you have and then try and fit the team to it. You say, okay, what is Jim good at? What is Anne good at? What are, you know, what are these all, what is the overlap of all of our skills and what can we make that best suits those skill sets? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you can make something kick ass like that, right? Um, but the, knowing that why is important because, like, for me, like, art has always been one of those things that, for, for the longest time, I told myself, um, "You're a programmer. You're not an artist. You're a programmer." And I put myself in that box for so long, right? And this whole murder bunnies thing was actually a big deal for me personally because it was like this game was sold on my art, right? 
like it's it's a it's a physical card game with with all these illustrations and this game was sold literally based on my art so that was a big like personal achievement for me um and i want to get better at it personally but you're absolutely right if this was a and i've started to learn this in my games like i if i ever have a game idea that's outside of my skill set i consider it prototyping that i'm doing like i'm just experimenting i'm having fun right whereas like i don't i don't necessarily want to tackle something that i've never done before for a commercial project out the gate i, I don't think it's a good idea yeah <clears throat> it, it, yeah i always when when i was teaching in a in a game design school uh a number of moons ago i used to show a couple of couple of games that i thought were really great uh role models if you will for indie game developers particularly people who are very new as an indie game developer and one of those i'm just trying to dig around and find it now ah damn it, it <laughs> requires a swift player so don't don't think so <laughs> um it's it's an old game there might be some youtube videos of it i'll see if i can find that as well um called racing comrade and it was on congregate and it was the ugliest stupidest looking game but I, I loved it i just loved it so much yeah racing search for racing comrade on youtube i'll pop a link in there as well if i can find one that um i haven't listened to this so i don't know if the person speaking over it is sensible or not but i'll just pop it in the the channel nonetheless and just hope for the best uh but it's dumb and it's weird and it's ugly but i loved it i used to talk about it to everyone i used to use that as the look it's it's these weird cutouts and the faces just kind of flip backwards and forwards, but it worked because it created an experience. And it's all about, um, you're in a race, don't know why, but you're in a race and you're in like communist, Soviet, um, you know, um, uh, Cold War era kind of stuff. And you're racing against famous historical figures and it doesn't make sense but the music is all kind of scratchy and that old kind of you know comrade uh music everything fits and therefore this kind of crappy art style fits as well because we have this perception of uh you know communist soviet union at the time things would be cobbled together like that so it it all fits together and it's so remarkably weirdly different that it's the sort of thing that i would talk about and tell people about so i would say if you're working on a product and you're not an artist, and I think a lot of folks in our community aren't artists, then do something that looks, uh, that stands out. Even if it looks like poo, do it so it stands out in a novel, interesting way and, and really dial it up, like really go to town with it, to be be extreme with it, I think. You've, you've got to have something really punch out. And it, there's a question that we got before. I just want to touch on this as well, Tim. I know it's me rambling a little bit. Let's see if I can find the question. Stalling. Um, We're all from, learning stuff. That's fine. Yeah, no worries. Uh, goodness me, there's been a lot of chat since I looked. There we go. From uh, chap007. Um, and just talking about how, first of all, great energy great um commitment talking about how for the last five months been waking up two hours earlier and going to to bed later to work on a game that's how you succeed man that that's awesome if people are saying how do i how do i do this game development thing how do i get better at it well stop playing games stop watching tv get up a couple of hours earlier give the best time of your day uh you know the, the best energy that you've got in the morning when you're fresh hopefully you know have some coffee 
work on it then you've got to do that to get better even if you're going to school or you've got a job that's how you do it you've got to get up earlier so good work to to chap for doing that uh, but the question is my problem is about um art so he's saying he's a programmer but what about the art how do i go about doing the art my natural reaction when people ask about art is always just go get asset packs don't try to learn how to be an artist if that's not your thing uh, and don't pay for someone to make it until you know that this game is absolutely going to be killer because uh, that's going to cost a ton of money just go get asset packs and it might cost you some money so it might be in the hundreds of dollars uh, obviously you can get free assets if it's earlier in your your project or you find something that matches perfectly um, but i think unreal chaps working on unreal unreal assets are more expensive than unity assets so that's a little bit trickier but try to make a game that doesn't require a million assets don't make a gigantic open world rpg game if you're not sure how you're going to get the assets try to make something that matches that that suits that and then to do some clever tweaking of it maybe if you can do it procedurally so change the colors procedurally or just get the assets open them up in in a in blender if you're working on 3d and just tweak them around a little bit so you don't need to be a good artist you don't need to be generating or creating but you can be refining and tweaking that's fairly straightforward to learn how to do so that it looks a bit a little bit different from an asset pack if that's what you want to do um i've got a really good example of this rick um, yeah cool. i'll post it in the chat my friend bart he's been working on this game for two three years uh it's called powerless and he hasn't touched a single piece of art every single piece of art in the game is from a asset pack mm. and when he launched the game he didn't get that many downloads like it was just you know but he kept at it he kept working on it he kept improving it and uh just recently he crossed the hundred thousand download mark wow on nice. uh, google play just by consistently updating it for i think it's like two years at this point um and it's all assets the whole thing even the ui and stuff is all assets he has zero art and he was able to to pull that off so yes and you know what when you use art assets it's just about consistency so if you get um you know a ui that doesn't look like it matches your particle effects then players are going to look at it and be like ah that doesn't work unless your goal is to have it deliberately look hodgepodge like if that's if that's what you're going for you're making a, a quirky weird funny doesn't fit together game and your story supports that and your your player right. action support that um but it, all you need to do is have it consistent and if you're not if you don't have an artistic eye then just find someone who does and you can do that i don't know there's a million ways to find people you just need to be courageous enough to put yourself out there um you, you know forums groups communities obviously one of the benefits of being part of the game dev tv community is there's tons and tons of people on the same journey who are i don't know pretty open and pretty supportive so start with our community just just put yourself out there one of the best quotes regarding this i heard was networking is a contact sport you're gonna get hurt <laughs> you're gonna get bruised yeah. you're gonna get bumped around but networking is a contact sport so expect it and uh you know treat it like it's fun treat it like it's a game but expect for for it to kind of i don't know sting sometimes and just to note there is a recruiting and promoting uh, channel and there's a collaborate channel as well here on the server so oh yeah of course you guys are looking for people yep i'll go ahead and link those as well yep and remember we're, we're talking about this a lot so we'll move on from this whole networking connecting kind of thing but look for people that you can help that's the first step and and paul i've seen a couple of your questions you're putting on there um about this it's 
it's look for who you can help. And, and I want to actually, I want to use Paul as an example for a moment. Um, uh, Paul, I think, has gone about this a spectacularly great way where uh, a couple of weeks ago after a Q&A, he was like, hey, can, can I make some music for the RPG? I'm like, for the RPG course to give to students. I'm like, that would be awesome. So Paul and I had some chats. He made some fantastic music. And now that the RPG is uh, finished, the last course, um, or the fourth course, I should say, has finished, we're going to be sending out Paul's music to all the people who have been part of the RPG, maybe everyone, actually, maybe all the Game Dev TV family, and say, hey, Paul made this. You might want to use it in your game. He's been lovely enough to say you can use it however you want. And that's awesome. That's Paul saying, here's a thing. Here's, here's an offering. Here's something that might help. Now, right. what might come out of that? Nothing might come out of that, aside from me saying, hey, Paul's a good dude. You know, I'll keep my eyes open for Paul if I hear someone being like, ah, if only we had some music. I'm like, you should have a chat with Paul. So this is the part of it that's a contact sport that, you know, Paul's putting himself out there. He might get some people who say, I don't like that music. Fine, that's cool. But there's going to be that one person out there who's like, wow, that really helped me out. I'm going to have a chat with this guy. Hey, do you want to work on a game jam together? Hey, what else can you do? Hey, wait, oh, you, you live there. I live here. So it's... It can lead to things. So good work, Paul, for putting yourself out there and, and being a bit of a role model. And the the role model is you've got to add value before you ask for, um, you know, for ask for give me something. For sure. I think that's a big part of life, not just like networking and stuff, right? Yeah. Hey, Tim, I want to talk just uh, briefly about marketing. Just briefly. It's a gigantic okay. topic. Maybe one of these days we'll do an, a Q&A just about marketing, but there's been a couple of marketing. I think we need to because it's come up a few times. It's come up a few times. Um, and maybe we can just stick with one or two things in here uh, about the whole marketing. And for me, again, if you're going from being an amateur to a professional, then you need to start thinking about marketing because you're making a product. And so ask yourself, do you want to do that? Because it's going to destroy a little bit of your joy with game development. And I, I say that just, you know, not, not to be a jerk, but you need to be ready for that, prepared for that, that you go from, hey, this is kind of fun, I like making this game, to, uh, you know, my community says this sucks, I have to change it, I made this art I'm so proud of and no one likes it, I have to redo it, ah, oh, this is difficult, I've got a deadline coming up, uh, am I gonna be able to ship it on time? Uh, you know, no one right. bought it or, you know, a YouTuber reviewed it and said my game's awful. So you've <laughs> got to be ready. For, you've got to be ready. It's it's you're putting yourself out there. So, um, do you have any any high level comments about um, transforming your game development skills from making a game for fun to making a product for customers? Yeah, I do. Um, I think. The first thing, one of the first things too, I, I think is a business stuff in here too, not just marketing, right? So like one of the things I started doing actually was, uh, someone also asked, um, how do you determine your own value? Well, this is part of how I did it. Like, so one of the things I started doing with all of my games is I keep track of every hour that I spend on them in a spreadsheet. So at the end of the development period, when I launch a game, I can figure out what my salary is per hour. <laughs> and uh, I gotta say it, you know, from what I've seen, it's not the highest currently. And you gotta be prepared for that, but it's it's important to know. 
kind of where you're at. And so then that brings up interesting questions, right? Like, so if you're running it as a business, okay, the, the objective is to generate revenue. Okay, if the objective is to generate revenue, then what are the costs involved? And usually the biggest cost involved is your time, right? So like, it takes you X amount of months to make a game, then you launch the game and you make X amount of dollars. A lot of people go the route of like, oh, well, what if, um, if I put an extra year into it, maybe I could double or triple the amount of money I make, right? But a lot of times this, the solution might actually be the opposite. So what if you could spend less time, right? Less time on the game and make the same amount of money. What if you could invest less, right? What if you could reduce the risks, hedge your bets, right? So like it, it's less riskier if you spend three months on a game than if you spend a year on a game and you launch it, right? So I think that's important because when you go to market and sell your game and put it on Steam and you know maybe go on Switch or whatever, like you're gonna learn so much. There's so much to learn, there's so much you don't know and you're gonna make mistakes, you're gonna do things wrong. And if you do things wrong on a game that you spent four years on, that's a lot different than doing them wrong on a game you spent three months on right like <laughs> yeah it's a big deal you can make you can make these gigantic mistakes that will mess up four years of your life whereas if you reduce your scope a little bit you can make these same gigantic mistakes but have less of an impact and you can learn those lessons and carry them on to bigger projects so that's like an overarching general concept right like of of just treating this thing like an experiment a lot of people go into this and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to launch a game and I'm going to make money from it. But really, you have to look at it as an experiment. Like, what happens? What happens if I spend three months on a game, I put it on Steam, I email YouTubers, and then I click publish? What happens? Like, rather than the other way around, right? Like, uh, I want to make a million dollars in my game. You just say, what happens? You just ask yourself, what happens? Uh, and then you, you can observe that result. And the next time you go to do that, all of a sudden you have a much more accurate picture of what's likely to happen, right? So now you can do projections. Now you can set goals. Now you can do all this stuff because you've done it before and you kind of have a a, uh, a clearer picture of, of what's going to happen. Mm. I know none of that is tactical, but is that what you were getting at, Rick? Yeah, you are totally. Get, getting at any just anything that comes out of the brain of tim i think is good for us uh to, to hear <laughs> sometimes it's interesting that people in different stages of making games as a commercial product are ready to hear different things and often when you hear you know quote unquote experts talking about stuff they're talking about it in terms of if you've already been doing this for five years here's some really you know finesse that i'm going to tell you about or they take right. it the other way around hey if you think about making games well first of all you need to learn how to type so it, it's if people are listening at the moment they're either going to hear something that connects with them for what they're up to today or it's going to be something that if they hear that same message in a year's time they might be like ah now i needed to hear that um right the, the one thing that i i, I think is good to hear um at most stages is if you're if you're working on a game your natural inclination is to make a good game that's what you're up to I'm gonna make a good game people are going to like this game it's gonna be fun people are going to want to play it and you know just play it and you'll love it 
And that's what makes for a, a good game experience. And that's what, as game developers, we think is important. However, as soon as you put on the hat of saying, okay, I'm gonna make a commercial product, that is no longer your primary goal. And that's this is really difficult to comprehend until you're right in the thick of it. Your primary goal is to make something that in 10 seconds, people are gonna say, wow, I'm really interested in that. And so it doesn't matter if they play it for an hour and then just start to cry with joy because it's the greatest experience they've ever had. That is not, people aren't gonna find that, play that, uh, buy that, or not enough people are. You need to get that 10 second wow, the 10 second that's different or that's interesting or that looks great or oh, I really, that that's amazing. And so set your sights on that when you're prototyping. It, are people gonna look at this and say, that's different? Or are they gonna look at it and say, well, that looks like every other platformer? You know, oh, yep, there's a there's a person running around in a 3D world that doesn't look as good as, you know, a AAA game. Uh, so what is it about your game that you're creating that, that will have a 10 second impact and won't just get lost in the mix of all the other games in that genre? Um, is it gonna be the art style? Is crazy, different, amazing, fantastic? What was the game we talked about last time? I always forget the first tree or last tree or the, the game with the fox in it. What's the the life tree? Do you remember that I one, said Tim? the last tree last time. It was the first tree, I think. The first tree. Yeah. yeah, and the first tree with, I forget the guys. I should really, this is bad form. I should really remember the dude's name because I talk about him every time. Um, but if you look at that game, it's you look at it and in whatever, five seconds, you're like, oh, that's cool. Hey, you're running around. I think it's a fox, right? Wow, you're running around as a fox and that world looks nice. So it's it's using uh, atmosphere. It's using the ambience as the thing that grabs you and hooks you. Um, right. And don't leave that till the end. Don't be like, I'll make my game. It'll be rad. And then I'll find some art for it and it'll all be good. If, if you're making yeah. a game that's about running around in the world as, as an animal, find the animal. Like Goat Simulator, it, the name, you just hear the name, you're like, cool, I'm gonna check that out. Goat Simulator, that's unusual. You know, it's a bit old now, but when it first came out, you're like, that's a goat. That's genius, you're running around as a goat. Um, and I, I think Goat Simulator spawned a lot of the, you know, animal running around in the world type games, but a goat bouncing into things with glitchy, weird physics and stuff, genius. That, that was all it needed. That's the five second, 10 second hook right there. You know what you're describing, Rick, is you're describing integrating marketing into the game, right? So a lot of people, they mistake, I see this a lot. So people think that marketing equals promotion or they think that it equals advertising. Mm. That's what most people think of when they say marketing. But marketing actually is the things you do to get people interested to buy your game. And I believe that marketing is an actual feature of your game. Like it's an actual thing that starts from day one of the development of the game. You have to understand how your game is gonna be received and how it's gonna look and how it's with the, the ideas and thoughts and feelings and, and you know emotions that it's gonna invoke when somebody looks at it. And I think people with, with the social media and, and all this stuff going on, and I, I think gifable games are a big part of the future, right? Yeah. Like games that can be uh, summed up in a GIF. There was a GIF that was going a while around um, for the the whole picture game thing on Twitter. There was like an event where if you use the hashtag picture game, you can picture game and a bunch of publishers will go through and they'll look at it. Um, I forget, um, I forget what it was called, but it was this beautiful game where you take a, a 2D picture of something and then the 3D objects fall out of that 2D picture. 
Hmm. And it was like this most like mind blowing thing. I think I posted it last time, but like that game in an instant gets across this novelty and this this beautiful aesthetic style, which is like, oh my god, I want to play that, right? Just immediately. Hmm. Um, yeah, I saw it on TikTok. Yeah, it's it's everywhere. It got like seven hundred thousand views on Twitter in like two days. Uh, so I'm sure it went other places too. But I forget what it's called. That's the, that, I think that was a mistake they made because they didn't put the title of the game on the GIF, and the GIF got shared everywhere. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, definitely, that's a that's a quick tactical tip. Is if you're ever making a, a GIF, definitely put the title of your game on. Put the title, yeah, so people can connect yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, this is the hard. This is the really hard part of game development. And the moment we're not talking about how to be a better programmer. Or how to be a better artist or how to be a better designer that's a you know that's a lot of what people think of i think when we talk about how to get better at game development but if we're talking about game development holistically it's how do you make a better game or how do you become more effective at making games one of those things is to start with the wow and it it takes time right. to find it and how, how do you find it you just you let your creative juices flow uh you look at things around you in the world you try to merge things together to see if something comes out one of my favorite tactics actually in terms of design in terms of coming up with something that that might be special is to join together two genres and the all-time greatest example of this i've ever seen is rocket league someone sitting there like you know what people love playing fifa people love driving games <gasps> what if we you know drove around and played soccer with cars and genius that that, that one simple idea spawned a really great compelling game a fun game that now is is gigantic and huge and and doing really well so if you're asking yourself hey, i'm really interested in platformers okay what can you merge it with a platformer plus something i don't know just top of my head platformer plus a quiz game i don't know maybe maybe you do a jump and then you've got whatever half a second to answer from three options on a quiz and if you answer it right you continue to jump but who knows it might be fun it might be might suck you might be like get this quiz nonsense out of the way but that's the kind of thing that you can start to experiment with if you're not necessarily a designer or you don't have that that massive um creative tank of ideas flowing just join genres together to see what happens man asked does art instantly sell a game and i would say uh that game dev is a visual medium games are very visual mm. and it doesn't necessarily sell a game but you know the old saying pictures a thousand words uh gif is a comp compilation of a bunch of pictures right so what it does is in five or ten seconds it gets across uh something that's interesting and if you have a good aesthetic style and it's pleasing to the eye it's it's much more likely to uh to, to gain someone's interest yeah yeah absolutely i i think but th there's also a conversation in there that if you if you don't want to make uh you know for example 3d game running around in a in a big outdoor environment with houses and buildings and trees and lakes and all that kind of stuff then don't make that sort of game you can make uh what did i see recently an ascii game so you know with all the characters letters and numbers and symbols and stuff and it, it looks awesome. It's just a, a game where, I, I think there's been a bunch of these over the years, but you, instead of using graphics, you use the symbols. And then you can get there and say, okay, when, when you jump, maybe the player turns from a, 
you know, whatever, uh, a certain letter into another letter. Maybe when when you crash, it spits out a whole bunch of exclamation points. Um, so you can you can look at it differently. You can use your your problem solving skills as opposed to your how well do I manipulate pixels or manipulate vertices skills. Yeah, there's a lot of very interesting aesthetic styles too that aren't really like people say art but i think what's what's super important is the aesthetic style right it's not necessarily like the art so like the picture that i just posted in q a live channel it's just a sphere on a bunch of uh flattened cubes with some interesting minimalistic backgrounds but mm -hmm. because they're all kind of a similar color aesthetically it's very pleasing to look at and it looks really really good even though it's very very simple yeah so there's a lot of things that you can do that doesn't necessarily require a lot of art skills it just requires a color palette and uh a very good like consistent aesthetic right mm. yep totally cool do we have any other questions uh i've tried to weave in questions a little bit in here but uh if you guys have any questions we've missed then let us know ask them again give us a yell um sure we missed a few we like to talk yeah we do <laughs> um so from F i don't know how to pronounce this Fowey, you uh question if i want to make a good game that generates revenue should i focus on making a game i enjoy or a game i think others will like and will spend money on that's a it's a really interesting one i think you've got to enjoy the game yourself not necessarily as you know hey i would play this but enjoy making it because if you hate the game you're working on then you're not going to bring the love to it you're not going to tweak it and tune it until it's a masterpiece you're gonna be like ugh, a casino game oh you know push the button win some money i don't care so i think you've got to enjoy it somewhat and because there's such a gigantic audience out there you can make a game in any genre and there'll be people that snap it up uh, you just got to ask yourself what am i doing that is needed in this genre or is lacking in this genre or people are most excited about at the moment so if you're really into city builders then you have a listen to what people are talking about you know we like this we didn't like that or this is where the state of the nation is and you can you can look to see not necessarily copying what works but to find out what people are interested in so start with a little bit of intel on uh, what you think would work um but uh, I personally would start with some a genre that you're interested in and then try to find the game that people enjoy within that um, rather than just starting completely blank and saying, hey, everyone, what what would you pay money for? I mean, that who knows what the answer to that is. Yeah, I, I would say something similar, but I would say two things. I would say one, uh, trying to make a game that you think other people will like is is in my opinion, a horrible idea because most of the time, any assumptions you have is just going to be completely wrong. And second of all, people, they lie to you, man. Yeah. Like if, if you can't ask somebody a question, like, would you pay money for this? Cause that's not representative of the actual people that buy your product. Right. And, and so there's no way to really tell other than to put experiments and see what people do. And that leads me to the second point is, I've always found that for the games that I make, it's a lot easier to discover what works than to design it. So like by doing a lot of game jams, I watch my analytics and then 
some of my games i've made probably i think between 30 and 40 games at this point and there's a good like two or three that have playtime and analytics significantly higher than the rest mm. and i have no idea why but they do and fun fact my game my game battleborn tactics that um is coming to steam soon that that was a game jam game and the reason i chose that as a commercial project was because the analytics and the playtime was significantly higher than all of my other games combined so that yeah. was like a smarter choice of like i'm gonna design this i'm gonna i'm gonna bring this to commercial level because it's already proven that people want to play it right yeah um and, and you can integrate analytics really easily and in, in all these different plugins too so you can watch how long people play your game that's that, good that's good that's a lot of the feed the feedback conversation as well as an indie game developer maybe not triple a but as an indie game developer you've got to be getting feedback every week on your game you've you've got to have your build always playable so you can get people playing it giving you feedback on it and not so much in terms of hey i'm gonna buy this but they'll tell you two very important things one important thing is they'll say i liked this bit or i didn't like this bit you know th this was called do do more of this or less of that they'll give you that sort of feedback so you can make a better product but what you're really listening for is when you have something in there and people are like whoa did you see that you're like ah, ah that's that's the thing that i'm going to use in my marketing that's the thing that i'm going to use and do more of and if you say you make a little game where you run around and and you can i don't know blow up trees and shoot enemies and uh, drive cars and whatever. And as people are playing the game, they're saying, man, driving the cars is fun. And they end up just driving the cars more than they blow up the trees and shoot the enemies. Then you've got to be courageous and say, how can I make my game more about driving the cars and less about the enemies? Like maybe just dump the enemy part of it. Maybe, maybe you've right. got something cool in terms of the particular way you're doing the cars is really interesting. So that's the part of following what your what your audience wants more so than at the idea level because they don't know hey you want a game that's about cars oh, i guess so well, what about trees i don't know but when they're actually playing it you can see what they do more of or what they like more and to build on what you're saying tim don't just give it to your friends because your friends are gonna be like this is amazing everything's great oh that bit's not oh yeah well keep up the good work so you've got to give it to people who don't know you and don't give a crap about your feelings so that they'll give you the honest uh, answer. 1,000%. Um, Sonic Linkerman asks, he asked this question twice, so I'm going to answer it. Um, big congrats to your Kickstarter success with Murder Bunnies. I personally plan on launching a Kickstarter for my game. I was wondering if you could share experience doing this along with some things you learned or did prior to Kickstarter launch. Um, sure. So... I think I think launching a Kickstarter is a lot like launching a game, and you have to think of it like a game launch, and you have to plan out marketing, you have to do all this stuff. Um, one of the biggest things that I learned uh, was the emphasis on day one kind of backers, um, because we were able to. To I think our goal was 10k in the Kickstarter, and I think we earned like three or four thousand dollars on day one. Because we were able to do that, we ended up getting in the Kickstarter algorithm, which um, sent us a lot of people uh, over time. So uh, I think we ended up raising 13,800, and I think um, 7,500 came from Kickstarter themselves, which is pretty cool. Like, that's just, that's straight up like money from outside your community. But I think the community is super, super important. I think you need to build up a game 
uh, with a community, you need to start community building six months to a year before your Kickstarter. I already had a community, so I, I lucked out, but I think you need to start building out your community um, ahead of time. And depending on the, the genre of your game, there are Facebook groups, there are forums, there are Reddit places that you can post your game. Um, and I would, I would focus around there. So building a community and really focusing on day one are super, super important. Yeah. The Kickstarter, in my opinion. Awesome. Uh, Farley Flex has asked uh, a couple of questions. Uh, it's mostly to do with being an experienced uh, software engineer and asking how, what's the best way to get into making games and game development, and in particular, the Unreal versus Unity conversation, which is it's really interesting. Uh, you know, Unreal Engine 5, there's a lot of really good hype around it, and you look at some of the stuff in there. It's just, it's just beautiful. Like, there's no denying the fact that in a short amount of time, you can make something beautiful in Unreal, but Unity doesn't naturally guide you towards, oh, that's beautiful, uh, at least in my experience anyway. I, I think a lot of it at that fundamental decision level is looking at the uh, two things, the tool set and looking at the type of products or games that each engine is renowned for. So I think the obvious thing is if you really wanna make something triple A that looks amazing and um, is some sort of first person or first, third person run around in the world action-y kind of game, then Unreal is is good for that. That's what it's known for. And I think that it's gonna give you a head start in many ways to do that. If you're more interested in more indie style games, uh, 2D games, um, maybe the you've got no idea what you want to make and you just want to have everything available to you, whether it's mobile or whatever, then I think Unity is great. Like I'm a Unity guy and I, I like it. It's easy. I find it's easy to get in there and figure out how to do things. And the asset store is amazing. There's tons of assets. There's, the documentation is amazing. That's great. Uh, I would also throw into that conversation probably not as relevant for you Farley Flex but if you're someone who doesn't have a coding background but you're interested in learning visual scripting then I think Blueprint is amazing for that it's still programming there's still a lot to know a lot to learn but if you're a little bit kind of allergic to typing code then uh, I think Blueprint is a great answer to that likewise if you're a C 3 is too Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woo, shout out for Construct 3. <laughs> yes, Construct 3, the caveat is that it's 2D only, yeah? If, you, if you're wanting to make 3D games, then... There are some play. 3D features, but yeah, mostly 2D. But I, yeah. I do think it is one of the most underrated engines there. It's super powerful. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you really like um, 2D, then then absolutely and and i think it's good it, like for this particular question being an experienced software engineer i think it's going to be good to work in an engine that demands um you know a high level of understanding of of coding and programming and i think probably unreal is with the exception of blueprint i think unreal demands a lot of that um that knowledge just because it's C++ and because it's a pretty deep engine and, and maybe Unreal Engine 5 will be a bit better, but I think, I find that Unreal, it makes things a little bit trickier. <laughs> like things don't, there's a little bit less flexibility. Unity is a little bit more like, you know what, do whatever you want. Have have your way with me, play around. I might break and I might not tell you about it, but ah, do whatever you want. Unreal's a little bit more like, no, you do it this way. Do not change the thing. So, um, 
I don't know if that's even remotely a decent answer, but that's my thoughts on um, making games. Just dive in. My recommendation is usually try them both for a week and see which one you just click with more. I'm sorry, I'm busy shilling construct at the moment. Okay, uh, the, I think I, I probably missed the other thing. Oh no, I, I did talk about that. Base it upon what genre of game you want to make. Like more fun, quirky, quick, interesting, small indie games. Unity, big ass, you know, fancy looking, amazing, a team of five artists or more uh, than Unreal. Yeah, okay. for sure. You're out there, Construct 3. Cool, <laughs> maybe one or two more questions and then we can wrap it up a little bit. Oh, interesting. Tim Russwick, do you think a, this is from Coding Hermit, do you think a, oh, I lost it, uh, do you think a steampunk RPG would be better suited to Unreal or Unity? Well, that's an interesting question. What do you reckon, Tim? Um, I don't think it matters, I have, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it, I it don't. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, both engines are awesome. This is the thing. It's like, um, it, it's choosing between two amazing, awesome things and you can't go wrong if you choose either of them so steampunk yeah. rpg i mean we've made an rpg course in unity uh it's a it's a third person click to move but easily adapted to be a first person um used with a controller and yeah it's there you can you can do it uh unreal you can totally make an rpg as well so um yeah. i i would yeah i would say unity uh because of both the course and the asset store um and w what good am i at marketing if i don't shield the course right now like we obviously we got to post that <laughs> so you guys can get it it's 80 percent off right now the bundle where you can get all four sections of the course uh in the rpg and it walks you through from scratch how to make an entire rpg in unity so if you're asking a question which engine to use for for your rpg it probably means that you haven't quite started so the course might be a good place to start. Um, yeah. So it'll walk you through how to make a whole entire RPG in Unity. And then on top of that, um, you've got the asset store where you can have all kinds of like, you need UI stuff, you need models, you need enemies, you need whatever. It's right there. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the best bet. If you're making an RPG, be prepared to spend years of your life on it. RPGs are the, yeah. from my experience now, rpgs are the biggest genre of game to make now you can make a game where you put a lot of content into like you could make a i don't know a platformer a 2d platformer where you have a thousand levels and that that's going to be huge but the list of features to just enter the arena with rpg is bigger than any other genre that i can think of off the top of my head uh, you make yeah. a shooter you're like you need a gun you need enemies you need to be able to run around a way to to kill them a way for them to kill you job done an rpg you need stats you need progression you need enemies quests dialogue uh you know different levels objects items lots of ui so it's a big beast so just be prepared for it to be a big beast and the innovation can come from well which features can i remove from this still have it feel like an rpg but not necessarily have to put in all those things there's an opportunity there but they're, they're whoppers game dev tv is a perfect example though right because the, the rpg course took us longer than all of our other courses dude it took us five years <laughs> <laughs> five That's years the course. exactly so if you're thinking about making rpgs just keep that 
And each time we're like, I think we're nearly done here. It's like, ah, uh, no, I th we really need to have in this thing because it's not an RPG without that thing. So, yeah, it, they're, they're big. But the amount of knowledge you gain from, from working through that process, and if that's your goal is to learn and develop, then awesome. Because it pushes you. You're like, okay, I can make my guy move. Now what do I do? Oh, I need to figure out how um, a, a drag and drop inventory system works. Okay, cool. And you learn that. And then once you've done that, you can apply all those different things to games. You can go off and make a, you know, a, a 2D dialogue heavy um, action, no, no, sorry, just like adventure game. And cool, because you know how to make branching dialogue after going through that RPG process. So yeah, anywho. Um, okay, what other questions we got here, Tim? Um, uh, KP asks, what do you find to be the most challenging design of element of Battlebarn? So Battlebarn Tactics is a isometric tactical grid-based game. So it's, it's think of it like XCOM meets Pokemon on an isometric grid. Um, and I think the, the most complicated part of all that was the abilities and the UI. Because... I had to go back and forth on how to make abilities like the UI presentation of how abilities works is super important. What you don't want is like just a pop-up dialogue box that, that completely just describes the ability in like paragraphs of text. You want things that um, at a glance can kind of tell you what the ability does and Honestly, one of the things I had to do was um, I had to cut out active abilities, which so like um, like a like a missile ability, for example. So if you click on a unit, you click the missile, then you have to tell him where the missile goes. There's no abilities like that. There's no active abilities. All the abilities are passive. So they're things like uh, heals adjacent units by one every turn. So what figuring all that out was one of the hardest things i had to do like one i had to cut the scope so i had to say no active abilities and that was a scope business decision because if i had active abilities that completely changes the ui that adds a bunch of work that doubles the amount of dev time and it basically it could have my revenue basically because i'm doubling the amount of scope so figuring out active and passive abilities and like cutting all of the active ones and just saying no we're sticking to passive abilities uh was a very hard decision to make but at the same time i'm really glad we we got there because what it ended up doing is it made the game much more spatial right the the relationship between where units are became super and i think that made the game so much cooler but it was very difficult to get to that point i know that's more of a game designy type of thing less than a technical thing but that was the hardest part for me yeah yeah and a lot of game development is game design i think those of us out there who are more programmer focused might be like, well, I, I'm just, I'm going to be a better game dev because I'm good at programming, but you've really got to put time and attention into how do you make your game more, it's a game, right? How do you make it more compelling? How do you make more of an experience? How do you make it more fun? How, where's the challenge? Um, how are you giving feedback to the player on the challenge? So it's really important right. to, to continue flexing those muscles, even, even if you're more interested in the programming side of things to to just look through the lens of what's my player trying to do and why is that interesting yeah yeah and and feedback was a huge part of that right like i realized that a big part of my, the fun in my game was was moving dudes around and attacking with melee um and i could have added all this extra shit on top of it but really i doubled down on the the fun part which is moving next to somebody and 
hitting them with a f- in the face with a sword. Yeah. Uh, Drake Dude, how do you plan out the flow of your scripts? Any good courses or references? Well, if it's a small game, I just I just create them. You know, for each feature, for each uh, piece of functionality, I just create a new script, pop them in the scripts folder, boom, there you go. Uh, if you want to see how to organize scripts for a, a bigger project than our RPG course, you can go to the repo, the public repo, and see um, the just see how it works see how the the scripts have been constructed let me see if i can find that repo for a moment um if you want to grab another question tim i'll see if i can find this i do think that um you know organization is one of those things that everybody does a little bit differently but you should generally if if somebody is new to your project because that's what's going to happen if you put it away for six months you're going to be new to the project so if somebody's new to the project and they can come in can they find what they're looking for Mm. I think it's a good benchmark. Yeah. Um, do we have any resources for UI toolkit? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what what depth that question is being asked. Yeah. Uh, in our Unity 2D course, we're going through the process of updating that, and um, Gary has just finished recreating a new UI-centric section within that course. Uh, called Quizmaster, so it's it's very much about UI. So we, we're teaching here's how to use UI and do things in UI. I don't know how deep the the requirement is for for the question being asked, but um, we do. There's UI in there. Okay, and someone asked, um, or Liam asked, what what's a great project to start after Unity 2D? Uh, Rick, what do you think? I think 3D maybe, or or um... Yeah, good question. So my, um, yeah, we have two courses that are pretty similar, the Unity 2D and Unity 3D. My thoughts are if you've finished one of those courses and you're not not yet confident that you could go out and do your own thing, you're like, oh, I'm still kind of, I, I get it okay, I'm not too bad, I'm, I'm not quite sure, then go do the other one. You'll repeat a lot of the concepts and have it really stick and embed. And if you're watching a, a lecture where you're like, I already know, I know this, then you're gonna feel a million bucks because you you can already get there and implement the thing. You can do the challenge, you can go through the challenges a lot quicker, so it'll really embed the, the fundamentals, the foundations of it. Um, but you could jump into, you know, if you're feeling you're on top of it and you want something that's, that's a different sort of challenge, then I think the Unity Mobile course has a lot of parallels with the Unity 2D course. Um, so that's the one we've just released, the mobile course. Um, or if you're looking for a big beast to jump into, then the RPG is, you're going to learn. At the end of the RPG, you will know a thing or two, I promise you. Sam works his magic in that course. Or those courses. Sam is a beast. He's a beast. Um, the other thing is too, like if you have enough skill to to mess around with Unity, that's kind of where I got after the Unity 2D course. Like I, I had enough to kind of sandbox stuff and mess with stuff. Um, skill Builder, I think, is a really good uh, addition. Yeah, it's, it's less it's less about teaching you stuff, but more about you having objectives that you have to learn for yourself. So there's a there's a bundle right now with season one and season two in there, and um, it's got a bunch of Unity projects in there that you can. Uh, it'll give you objectives. It'll say like figure out how to do this, make the character teleport, and then you've got to go through the Unity docs and stuff and figure all that out. And for me, that really really helps cement my knowledge in learning Unity. Yeah, that's true, and it's it's something that if you finish one of our 
one of our complete courses, complete Unity whatever courses, 2D or 3D, then you're ready for that. You're ready to flex your muscles. It's good problem solving. Like you need to, you need to. Yeah. At some stage, you need to move beyond an instructor telling you the knowledge, and you need to go and implement the knowledge so it sticks. and And look at it and be like. I, I need to use, I need to add force. I've forgotten how to do that. I don't know how to do that. And the process of figuring it out, uh, finding the answer, trying a few things, that's real game development right there. That's you getting ready, rehearsing for making your own games. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of that Googling error messages and looking through docs when you're trying to do some crazy stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, any last ones? Uh, here we go. Coding, coding hermit. Can you apply? Uh, no, can you apply the three D course RPG course to an isometric game? I think there was another question about isometric games out there before. Um, I, isometric is just having a particular position of camera and particular art style that that's it in terms of how yeah. an isometric game is different to other games so yes if you learn all the other aspects of game development um then you know if you're making an isometric game that's a, a flying shooting game or a running around in a world game then you need to know all the other aspects of it the isometric aspect that's really that's easy i well easy is the wrong word but that's easy that's for a 3d it's a simple problem to solve. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you're making a 3D game, you've got a huge advantage because literally isometric for you is changing the camera angle. If you're making a 2D game and you decide to go isometric, you have to redo every single yes. asset <laughs> in the entire game, which I would know about because changing the perspective is something we did with Battleborn. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I've got one last question for our audience before we we wrap up. And uh, you know, for those of you who are still listening at the moment or listening live, I should say, not listening to the recording, it's just if you can drop in the Discord chat in here, what's the one biggest difficulty or challenge that you find at the moment nowadays with with game development, with learning game development, or getting better at game development, or progressing along your game development journey? What's the one biggest thing that you you wrestle with? you find difficult you're unsure about you get stuck on um and so for those who are listening not live we'll just read out some of what people are saying uh game design and sound design level design gathering feedback staying motivated getting started um oh crap they're coming oh, in it's quick starting, it's starting to go <laughs> yeah, it's been up there as i was trying to read it uh discipline project management time just learning coding c sharp time networking as in server networking um limited resources create an appealing game staying motivated procrast not procrastinating yeah game designing developing solo storytelling imposter syndrome yeah imposter syndrome that's an interesting one we all have that uh learning how to solve things work-life balance audio oh yeah cool so um lots of lots of good variety and i think you know what the the folks who are in here listening, you guys are the keen people. You are you are committed to your journey. Uh, you know that there's areas to improve. So the fact you're hanging out here listening, I think, speaks volumes to your commitment along that that process. And you've moved beyond. Uh, you know, I I don't know how to make my thing move on the screen. And you're now at the point where you're saying, how do I do this properly? How do I really get better? How do I how do I design better to make an experience? How do I stay motivated so that I can get my game done during tough times? So, yeah, I appreciate all that that feedback and um, you guys sharing right. with us what you're struggling with because that helps us when we're um, creating content for you. Yeah, this is a really good list too. And this is a list that I think a lot of us have a lot of experience with all these different pieces. So um, struggling with different stuff. 
it's good to see. And the final, final question to add to my final question is uh, what would you like us to talk about next week for next week's uh, Q&A session? What topic would you like us to cover? What's the most important thing? And you might just end up copying, pasting the thing that I asked you in the previous question, which is valid. Um, but what would you like us to cover? It's probably not going to be implementing server networking, just uh, as a FYI for Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Imagine trying to do that over request. audio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Step one, implement it. Um, a pause marketing. menu in Unity. That, that, okay, well, we could have a and a Q&A based upon a pause menu in Unity. Um, marketing Project management's project come management, up a few times. Level yeah. design. Um, uh, at some stage, we've got to do a game design slash level we design. We do. Course. At we some do. stage. I've really been wanting to do that. As a, as a game designer, I've been wanting to do that for a long time. So, some stage. Um, Maybe we could do a game it, design chat too. We, we love... We loved our little game design talks. Oh, man. You and I, we love that so much. How many YouTube videos have we got out there? Go check out Tim's channel or my channel um, for our playing games and talking game design. We love it. Uh, how about a session on who the best TAs are? Well, Brian, that would be a very brief session, wouldn't it? We would, we would come to some very quick conclusions on that quickly, briefly. <laughs> Not saying what the answer would be because I'm sure there's many TAs <laughs> listening at the moment. Nah, they're all amazing. It would be an equal tie between every single yeah, teaching assistant. Equal. There you go. Teaching assistants are amazing. Awesome. Cool. So thanks everyone for hanging out. Thanks for making it to the end of our conversation. Tim, thank you for your wisdom and your comradeship. Uh, it's always lovely hanging out, talking to you. And I think the reason that we talk much longer uh, it'd be nice to do these things in an hour, but I, dang it, I just want to hang out with you for longer. So, uh, well, we'll thank you, Rick. Yeah, I feel the same. Going. Time flies when we're hanging out and talking about game dev. It does. It does. Should we go do our real actual work, or should we hang out here and talk <laughs> and chat for another hour with our awesome it's, community? It's <laughs> time to go to work. Oh yeah, hey, everyone. Uh, Let's all go to all work. All you lovely people, have a fantastic evening. We will see you next week. Awesome. See you guys. Thanks for hanging with us. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. You can find all courses at GameDev.tv or in the show notes at a discounted price. Get started with your game development journey today.